What's up? Not a whole lot. Yeah. I need, so, I need that right now. Oh, um, so we've been doing all kinds of media today. So I thought it would be fitting if we finished this evening with a podcast. You've got some cool stuff coming up this week that you're going to embark on. So I thought everybody um, would be interested in, in hearing about that and kind of what goes into it. Um, but we did photo shoot, a bunch of stuff for the shop. Um, we do a ton on social media. So we had pro professional photographer come out. Um, Jenna did a great job with that. Uh, it was really awesome. Did you have fun doing that? Or have you ever been part of a professional photo shoot previously? Uh, not to that level. I mean, there's been bits and pieces of like, hey, can you jump in for a second? Um, and, you know, do just some kit fits and the sidewalk in front of a shop. But that's pretty much the, uh, the extent of it. I mean, that was um, the smoothest that it could have possibly gone, I think. Um, I was expecting a little bit more chaos, a little bit more. It just more involved with that but that was that was easy that was fun yeah. it was fun yeah wilder does a really good job we've been working with him it's probably like his fourth or fifth shoot with us we try to do one every about six months or so we'll typically get some fresh shots of the shop normally a lot of times we'll have customers in this time it's just all lifestyle stuff so um, we were out on the trail um, putting on different box kits and stuff like that you put on a super dope box like white and black kit so slick looking um that's available here in the shop. You know, people can go on our store and order any of the Fox stuff. We'll send it to you. No big deal there. Uh, but yeah, it was super fun. So anyhow, back to what you got going on this week. Um, this past weekend, you went back to Indiana or basically Indiana into Kentucky. Um, you live van life. Um, mm -hmm. You have what what year's your van? What are some stats on it that we should know about? So I have the classic uh, 1985 Chevrolet G20. It's a series of um, kind of fits the creeper van stereotype a little bit. Um, very rough paint on it being an 85, but um, I did find a diamond in the rub when I bought it. And I've been living in it for almost three years at this point. Um, and it really is my baby. I've packed my whole life into that thing. And so, you know, I'll get a lot of, um, arguments on whether or not I should continue that thing, um, keeping that on the road, but, um, it really is just kind of my, my heart and soul to, to live that van life with that particular van. Like I just don't want to give up on that one. Mm -hmm. So. So you decided to do this about three years ago, uh, maybe like six or seven months before COVID started. Mm -hmm. You must have had some sort of weird feeling in your blood that was like, I need to get away from people. I need my own like locked in space. Um, but So you kind of got a head start on a lot of folks kind of, I think, jumped into it. I know right at the beginning of COVID when the shop was shut down, it gave me time um, to build out our box van. Um, so I insulated it and put a little shelf in there to sleep on and bought a bunch of survival stuff and jammed it in there. It's kind of ridiculous, but, um, you know, I can kind of rust, rustic camp in it. Um, so I know I did that, but what's your kind of van setup? I mean, what amenities do you have in there? What do you like, or how has it changed from like when you first got it? Like, did you buy the van and then just like pack the bag at the house, threw your stuff in there or like, all right, where am I headed? That is almost, exactly what I did. Um, <laughs> so I was actually renting a room from somebody um, in, you know, I think I'd been there about two years. And um, at one point, the homeowner said, Hey, I'm, I think I'm going to sell this fall. And, you know, this was in late July. And so fall was not really that far off. And I didn't have an exact date. I didn't know how pressured this was. So 
Um, you know, I'm kind of stressing, trying to figure out where am I going to rent? What, where can I get a safe area, a safe apartment to live as a solo female? That was a concern, you know, being in the city. And, and this then, was um, in Kentucky? Yes, in Louisville. Um, and so I had always been kind of entertaining the idea of living in a vehicle because I was like a rustic camper and I just didn't mind, you know, doing things with the more rugged approach. And then I get this little pop up on, um, Facebook marketplace of this specific van. And I'm kind of looking at the ad and no red flags came up. And so the, the first opportunity that I had me and my dad went out and scoped this thing out in a grocery store parking lot right. and all of the, you know, everything checked out. And I knew as soon as I opened those side doors and saw the, the gray custom interior, which was essentially just, you know, carpet, a bench seat, like everything was in pristine condition. Can I pull up your Instagram? Absolutely. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but it, it, you know, a lot of people, especially people that are older than me, can remember the vans of this era that um, they were customized from, you know, whoever originally bought them or even off the lot sometimes. Um, so it already kind of had that van life feel, albeit a vintage one and it already had um 12 volt outlets all the way around that function so i always had electricity and and interior lighting and um little swivel reading lights that were just already there so those two big components i didn't have to touch um and i just folded the bench seat down and i took the middle two caps and chairs and sold them threw all my stuff in a week after i bought it and like this is what we do now so yeah my aunt i remember had I don't remember what her van was. It had to have been a GMC or something. But yeah, big luxury van. We loved it. All the seats reclined down. It was the most fun thing ever. She no longer has a van like that, but I did really love it. So I'm pulling up your Instagram. Um, question. So like, you're talking three years you had that van. Obviously, it's going. It's getting a new motor put in it right now as we speak. That should mm -hmm. be happening. Um, so it lasted three, this 19 vehicle from 1985 lasted you the last three years. Did you come right to St. Louis? Did you kind of stick around Louisville for a while and deal with it? Or did you immediately head this way? And then as you're talking, I'm going to bless everyone with the ability to check out your van, um, on your Instagram page. Do you want your Instagram handle out there? Uh, yeah, that's fine. Okay. Um, so I, whenever I bought it, I bought it in Charleston, Indiana, which is uh, about eh, 20, 30 minutes north. And I'm from Southern Indiana and, you know, kind of that whole region is right across the river from Louisville, Kentucky. So, you know, they kind of go hand in hand. They're almost one and the same at this point, even though they're two different states. But um, I bought the van and I kind of dawdled, just kind of figured things out. The, the first several weeks were very stressful because I'm making a massive change and I'm trying to figure out where I can park. And I was legitimately just like street parking or finding friends with businesses. And I'm like, hey, can I park my van here? Like um, every once in a while or like on these certain days of the week, because kind of the core thing I learned with van life, especially in an urban environment like that, is you keep moving. Um, right. you, you tend to stay under the radar that way. And without like a permanent safe spot to go, that was just kind of uh, the approach that I took. And then um, Do you think while, that's stressful? Haven't always moved and it being is. worried about that, and especially with a vehicle like that, that is very recognizable and it is not right. just a white cargo van like everybody else has for their business. It does stick out. Um, and I, I really didn't have that many issues um, 
to be entirely honest, I, I got pretty lucky with, with that. And I was, you know, very um, perceptive of what my environment was and whether or not I should really be in a certain area. And that, that worked really well mm -hmm. for me. After that, I moved to the Cincinnati area for a while, dated a guy for a little bit that, um, that also had a van. And so we actually went on some trips with, it's just like a little caravan, um, for an entire, you know, like several times in a year, um, just made shorter trips like that. Um, but then I did come back to Louisville for a while. And then from there I, um, took a trip out to Missouri for a race and just, had this pop-up for a job on my phone, decided that I was ready to kind of move to a different area. And that's how I ended up here. I really just. That was 41 weeks ago. I know that because I just seen the picture of both fans. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, pretty cool looking convoy there. Sick. So yeah, people want to find you on Instagram. They can go to g.brockstar um, on Instagram and they can follow along. You post some dope pictures, really beautiful pictures. Um, so yeah, definitely worth giving a follow to and staying up to date on Jenna's travels. She'll need us to stay up to date on her, um, because as soon as the van's completed, you're obviously back here in St. Louis, you're in mm -hmm. Eureka, um, your band's in Louisville. How do you, how do you say it? It's Louisville. You almost Louisville. have, you almost Louisville. have to make it two syllables. I say Louisville. Louisville because a lot of people don't know what I'm talking about right. when I'm, when I give it the. Louisville. The Kentucky twang. Okay. So your van's in Louisville. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Getting you to, there. <laughs> yeah. You have to get back there. And surprising to not, nobody wants to give you a ride 410 miles just to follow you back to St. Louis. So you decided this was a perfect opportunity to jump on your bike and ride 410 miles. You've got split out over four days. Mm -hmm. um, why did you think that was feasible or a good idea? Because um, I'm sure a lot of people have told you, you should not be doing this. It's not a good idea. Common thing we hear cyclists all the time. Everyone's always telling us the things we do are ridiculous or silly or we shouldn't or blah, blah, blah. They, don't, they have no idea kind of what comes from doing things like that. So, I mean, what was your motivation in doing it other than like you had to, like you want your home back. So, For one, I um, I know what I'm already capable of and we're not at the limit of that yet um, for certain, because I, uh, as I mentioned on the last episode, I am doing the um, unbound 200 gravel race, which is a 200 mile unpaved road race um, in Kansas. And it is, it is nonstop. And I've completed this race before um, by far the most difficult thing that I've done on a bike. And I knew that I was just kind of hooked on that ultra endurance stuff after I finished that. Um, and then I um, about, five or six weeks ago rode the Katy trail to Columbia 110 miles okay. was the, the one way effort from Washington, Missouri. And then I came back the next day. So I did two twenty. And <laughs> just so days. you know, kind of like Louisville <laughs> here in Missouri, we, we pronounce it. It's actually, we don't merge syllables together. We put an R in, so it's Washington. Uh, well, so you headed out from Washington, Missouri. <laughs> we can discuss that after, <laughs> after the close of this episode. It's Washington, like, um, Missouri. That, that's going to be, I don't know about that one. I don't know if I can. <laughs> well, you know, took party far out there to Washington, Missouri. We'll work on it. Okay. So <laughs> you did that. And that made you think like this was, I mean, was it like the feeling you got from like, once you got there, you were like, oh, this is so cool that like I started on essentially one side of the state and basically rode a good amount across mm -hmm. the state. I mean, what is it that made you, what about that trip made you want to do it again? Um, It is 
basically I can just drop everything and go under my own power. Mm. It's such a simple way to do things. And it's, it, the bike to me is a tool for experiencing the world that you, I haven't really found any other way. I know that hikers get it. Runners get it. It's just this place of existence from exerting yourself and also going somewhere. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm going to pick my van up, which is, you know, getting a new engine on it. So that's kind of been its whole ordeal. But even though that is my end goal is to kind of finish that plan out those four days that I'm riding to Louisville, I probably won't even think about that much because I'm just instead very in the moment, very focused on just covering ground. And for those four days, there's life outside of that isn't really happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And anytime that I am doing like these very high mileage rides, that's kind of where it ends up. Whereas before as more of a, a short distance like sprinter type i was doing crit races cyclocross things that go on for less than an hour you know you really aren't thinking about normal life but it's almost like the prep time takes mm-hmm. more time than the race itself mm-hmm. whereas this is the complete opposite mm-hmm. of that like i'm getting so much more reward for my efforts that way than i was when i was just doing these really intense races with definitely chasing a result yeah, and that's interesting. And you bring up a good point. I think that's, you know, a lot, you see a lot in cycling where, you know, a lot of people do it to kind of escape because it is that simplicity of it's like, okay, if I'm on my bike or, you know, if I'm embarking on a long hike or whatever it may be in the woods, like nothing else matters. It's up for surviving this day or accomplishing these goals. I mean, and I wonder if it's almost like, um, like if you're working on um, like um, uh, meditating and things like that. Like in meditation, obviously, like the idea would be to be like fully still and have your mind completely clear. But really, I mean, maybe there's some people who can actually accomplish that. But for most of us, if we sit down and try to meditate, even once you've been at it for a couple of months or start to, you know, get a little bit better, your mind's never going to be completely clear. And thoughts are always going to creep in. And kind of the point meditation is, you know, allowing that to happen and then just kind of sitting with it and letting it clear itself out. And then that there's an effective part with that. So I'd venture to guess with a longer ride like this, you know, or like a lot of us, maybe we go for a mountain bike ride for a couple hours and those thoughts are always in our head. And there's certain moments when you're pushing up a hill or really exerting yourself or they get blocked out because your body's just on surviving to get up that climb. But I would think the same thing, like when you're on the road, like you might have those thoughts, but then they're going to be beat out of you by day two and day three and definitely by by day four so i think that's really cool um i mean on your longer journeys you find like the further you go kind of the the more kind of clear you get or do you i feel like i would just think the whole time but i've never rode my bike for more than like i've never ridden my bike anywhere near any amount of distance like that um i i would honestly say that the beginning of an effort like this i'm just excited, energized, like there's obviously weight that I'm carrying like mentally and emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not necessarily hitting me in a moment because I'm just kind of overwhelmed by the the newness of this challenge that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. As I go, it I definitely am more honest with myself about the things that I am carrying. Um, but there's something to be said for at least with me using movement to process things like that versus Sometimes, like if I'm really hurting over something, you know, I'll retreat to my van, which is my, you know, my safe zone. And I'll just kind of like hit myself with these things 
Um, and that helps too, but something about associating dealing with, you know, any baggage that I might have with the power that it takes to propel a bike that far, mm -hmm. they kind of almost fuel each other. I, I definitely, I go through every single range of emotion whenever I'm on a ride like that, mm -hmm. even if it's, you know, even if it's with other people, um, that is a distraction, but typically the other person I'm riding with is going through something. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it almost kind of uh, eliminates that wall that you set up for yourself. Like, I don't want to think about these things. I want to just distract myself from it. By get, like riding a bike, any amount of mileage like that does not allow for a distraction. Right. It's it, for me, it, it forces me to put myself through that stuff. And it, it, you know, it feels good somehow. I think there's something to be said for that cliche to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. That applies physically, emotionally, mentally, all across the board. And you just kind of finish, like, I understand who I am as a person now. Mm -hmm. And it's been building on that theme for the entire seven years I've been riding. So we just say uh, Eureka got a new sushi restaurant. Not to disturb you too much, but I can hear my stomach growl growling. It's like I we literally just ate. I don't know why that's happening, but it was right. So maybe I just felt full, and I wasn't actually full. I don't know if the mics pick it up or not. So I may have brought this up for no reason, or people may think that we're about to be attacked by monsters here at the shed. So don't worry, guys. We are safe. No, I mean that's a good point. I mean that it, it's really interesting you bring that up about. You know, when you are dealing with stuff or if you're not in like a really good headspace, when you get out and go for a ride, like having your blood pumping and working through things as your blood's pumping and as you're visually processing all those things. I know um, Coach Cuddy from the Wheels Up Enduro team, me and him talked. I think we were off camera when we talked about it, unfortunately. Um, but he talked about and he's a nurse and he's a coach. He's a long time in the bike industry uh, with a lot of big companies over the years. And that was his whole thing was like, there's a certain level that you reach when your heart, when you're exerting force and then the visual processing, when those two combine together, just how good that can be for you mentally. Um, so, you know, like you said, out on the road, it's getting that heart rate up. It, it's much better than just sitting in a dark room by yourself. Like if you think something's bothering you or you're anxious about something, you're just sitting in a dark room. I have a feeling it's a lot, it's going to take a lot longer to get past that. It's so going to take a while. You're never going to come up with the solution because your brain sitting there is depressed or whatever it may be. So it just feels down. So you're focusing on all the negative. Whereas if you're out doing something active, whether it's going for a walk or going for a hike or going for a 410 mile bike ride, um, that blood flowing is going to, you know, it's the same thing like they tell you to chew gum in school or whatever they always would tell kids to do that. I'm sure it's the same thing about getting everything moving in there and as the blood's pumping to your brain and as your circulatory system's just working on high drive, then that's going to allow you to think a little bit clearer. Um, you know, and you, know, you get like dopamines and all mm -hmm. kinds of weird releases of chemicals as you exert yourself and your heart rate gets up. So all those things are going to help affect your brain. And I know I've realized that with my brain injury, like it's crazy the amount of control your body has or your brain has over your body and how little things can affect stuff so much because i get to deal with like amplified versions of that over the last year of like little things that wouldn't matter much or whether it's you know things i put in my body or don't put in my body or when i'm taking my vitamins when i'm not when it, all these different things affect 
your mental state and what you're able to do. And I, there's probably no better cure for depression or mental issues that you're dealing with than getting your blood pumping and moving. You know, I, I don't think if you like if you're on a stationary bike in your house, just spinning wheels and get your heart rate up, you're not going to accomplish the same thing that if you're outside and the world's going by you and you're pumping your legs and you're making everything move. Yeah, I was never interested in being an athlete for the sake of being an athlete. That alone was never satisfying for me. Now, as you know, a kid or in high school, I really did want to participate in sports, but I was definitely um, pretty antisocial and it's really hard to be involved with team sports with that kind of personality. And then I also, you know, just didn't have the opportunity to play sports with just, you know, my, my mother was unfortunately disabled. So there was a lot of resources that were kind of going into taking care of her. And, um, you know, so I, I just didn't really get the opportunity to participate much or, you know, have friends outside of just those I made in the, the classroom. Um, but then I, whenever I was 19, I got a target bike. <laughs> it seems like that's how everybody kind of starts is, mm -hmm. you know, just picking up any bike that's around and Step just going and process. cruising. And that was literally the first thing in my life that I ever picked up and stuck to. Had you ridden a bike as a kid? Did you have bikes like, you know, 20 inch bike, 24 yeah. inch bike, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it was never, but you never went out and explored the neighborhood on it. It was just riding around in the yard, you know, front of the house kind of stuff. Right. And then the, once I kind of had my autonomy as an adult is when I kind of started branching out and going riding on the road, you know, even just doing nine miles and everybody around me at that time was like, you're an idiot. Like, what are you it's crazy? <laughs> and it was just, I'm just I, like, I would, you know, there was one time where I just got too hot and I had to have somebody come pick me up and you could tell that they were just, I mean, I was less than three miles from my apartment okay. <laughs> and they're, they're, you could tell they were annoyed by the fact that they had to come and get me mm -hmm. just like, well, of course this happened to you. And now, sure. you know, that was a nine mile ride and now I'm, you know, tackling triple digits and, you know, coming home just fine. Um, albeit stressed sometimes with a heat rash, obviously very <laughs> tired, whiny, but it just is some, it sends your brain to a different place even when you are hurting that bad. But, um, yeah, I don't really know where I even picked this um, compulse to do this. Um, it just kind of was the only thing in my life that cycling really or stuck. this trip specific cycling. Cycling, yeah. yeah. But I mean, like the whole root of it of this trip has just been a build since I started mm -hmm. it. Like, there's a lot of people now that knew me back then that were like, "We knew you were going to do something <laughs> nuts," or "We knew that you were kind of wired funny." Mm -hmm. And now they're just like, that That sounds like a Jenna thing to do is to just. Were you always like outdoorsy? Did yeah. you always like, so, would you camp outside your own house and stuff like that ever? Yeah. Um, so I spent a significant amount of my childhood with my grandparents and they were very much old fashioned. Like they'd let me use the computer or watch TV, but only for a very limited amount of time. Otherwise they'd kick me outside and be like, go we no, didn't have computers or TV when I was a kid. Yeah, so. we, I mean, we we I remember dial up like um so that you know if if, if my grandma wanted messenger. to make a phone call like Jenna get off the get off Neopets like mm -hmm. <laughs> but so I would just you know go outside and I would uh my my grandpa had um a cattle farm that was you know closer to the end of the time that I was living with them they sold all the cattle but they still had all this property so he would take his bush hog and just cut 
random trails through the grass Sick. and so i would just go run them and he would let them grow back up and then he would go cut more and he would intentionally leave dead ends and then retrace so i you know i always kind of had like this place to explore Love there that, and yeah. i'd go catch turtles like that was that was my upbringing um, i idolized steve Irwin. yeah his whole um demeanor was just like i want to be that his son is starting to do more and more now. He's his YouTube channel is getting pretty lively, and yeah, I just recently I had seen him like on a couple talk shows. His son uh, a couple years ago, and he was really young, and you could tell he was starting to get into it. I think his daughter even does it as well. Um, but his son, I just recently seen another video of his, and he's full on. Like he looks like a miniature Steve Irwin. It was so refreshing to see. I was like, this is so dope. Like this makes me so happy. See, because that's what I mean. A lot of us growing up, I think, I mean, Steve Irwin, that's one show I think all of us watched all the time, you know. I would take my, when my grandpa still had cows, I would take his binoculars and look out the window and in the field and I would narrate their movements like Steve Irwin. Like that's how kind of off the rails I was about it. And I legitimately cried. When when, he died. Yeah. Yeah, I was upset too. Yeah. Yeah, because he was such a good dude. And I mean, you could tell he was a very genuine person that just really gave a crap about what he did. Um, yeah, and it's a shame he was really smart with it too. And yeah, it's unfortunate the way he went out. But, and, and you know, I've never really considered, but I wonder if that played into why I liked, why I ended up becoming an exterminator and uh, got so into that and biology courses. I mean, ultimately... The real reason I got into extermination was Billy the Exterminator. I learned everything I knew about extermination, like from like how to run the business side of things, from watching Billy the Exterminator and then Vexcon as well. But yeah, TV shows really molded my career path. And then I watched GMBN and the Dirge Head mm -hmm. show. And that's how I ended up with the mountain bike chat. So <laughs> very easily influenced by television and YouTube videos. I, I'm <laughs> very out of the loop with a lot of, um, that kind of thing, just because, you know, like I said, I wasn't really allowed to to consume that much, mm -hmm. which fed my just let's go do things. They have a outside. road bike section of GMPN. They call like, I don't know what they call it's it, Global G Cycling GCN, Network. Yeah. yeah, it's just GCN. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yep. I've seen both sides of it. They're, mm -hmm. They're pretty funny. The yeah. GCN guys are pretty funny. I'll give them that. I uh, I got really. The outfits, a little much for me. But, you know, <laughs> Careful. You got to do what you got to do. Um, but I think, you know, Steve Irwin was like, obviously there's, I feel like there's really not that many people alive that don't know who he was in some capacity, but just, you know, those few people that, like you said, he was so good and so passionate about what he yeah. did. I paid attention to that when I saw it. Mm -hmm. And so now. And the man had no fear. Yeah. I wouldn't Brave necessarily say that I have no, um like idols but i just I, I paid attention to the people that were super intense about very unorthodox things and i i with a van with the bike i just latched on to that part mm -hmm. instead of oh you need to find something to you know actually do with your life that's you know driven by something else other than just raw passion mm -hmm. and so that's i'm very happy with with that but um do you feel like you being a cyclist like brings any positive into the world? 
Um, I now this it's funny you bring that up because with my Instagram account, I I don't reach, I don't intentionally try to like get follow me, see what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, appreciate the shout out, but that's mm-hmm. not that's not something that I reach for personally because I do kind of want people to find that organically or them to just meet me in person and be like, oh, I emulate or I. Uh, relate to what you're saying. So let me kind of get more of that. But whenever I do post, you know, I do post a lot of really colorful photos, you know, that are, you know, just from just mere snippets of my life, but I do tend to pair them with some pretty cathartic um, captions just to be like, this is how what I'm doing right now impacts how I'm feeling, or hopefully I can kind of serve as some sort of example to somebody else out there that is struggling with something where they're not happy with what they're putting their energy into in their life. Because I do remember a time, you know, whenever I was young and didn't have so much control, just feeling like there were things that I was wanting to do and couldn't. Like I I had dreams and I didn't have the resources to actually follow those. So whereas me riding my bike is entirely a selfish venture, I feel like the things that I'm getting out of it are worth sharing and that maybe somebody sees that or my post with the van or, you know, these big efforts that I'm doing and they're like, oh, well, if this person with zero background can do something like that, then so can I. Um, because I definitely didn't have like a platform that I started out on. Like I'm a first generation, pretty much everything. Um, <laughs> this wasn't motivated by, oh my, well, my parents did this. Like mm-hmm. it, it just, I just kind of started everything on my own. And it's like, it's not just the van or the bike. Like I'm a fairly multifaceted person. I do artwork commissions. Like I've drawn people's pets multiple like years in a row for Christmas gifts. Um, you know, people are paying me to, to draw their pet portraits and um, you're a model now. Apparently <laughs> I, I did, I wrote poetry in high school. Like I did some, some journalism stuff. Like I like writing, hence the Instagram posts, you know, having some words involved with them. Um, you know, I've just dabbled in a lot of different stuff and I'm like, this has got to be useful somewhere. Um, and so I just, just kind of carry all of that. And I, really do feel like that it could be you know applied better um in some areas but yeah you when you came in it was just a couple of weeks ago when we met you and when i looked up your instagram i was already following you on instagram so i hadn't seen it post i i would have remembered seeing your van lately so i hadn't seen a post in a while but at some point in the last four years, I followed your account, which is weird. And I, I would venture to guess just a real quick before you move past, like when you say you're a first generation, everything, I'm assuming you didn't have any friends that were, I mean, did you have friends even that were like big outdoorsy types of folks or anything like that? So you had zero whatever to do with it. Yeah. Not really. My Like whenever I was young, like I was moved from school to school quite a lot. And I know that had something to do with me once I actually got to, you know, a consistent you know, location in about sixth grade, like, I think I kind of, kind of had already shut down socially. And then by that point, you know, kids can be pretty mean, they've already established their social groups, Mm -hmm. they're not necessarily the most um, eager to, you know, pull in the new people, it does happen, like you Mm -hmm. tend to find because you're slightly better at it now. Yeah, because they understand the consequences of not doing that. So right. I think everybody looks out a little bit more. Sometimes I, I'm not in high school, so I don't realize how mean <laughs> children are. That's my outsider perspective. It's probably not true. At, at that point, like <laughs> I had just established myself as so much of a loner that I just 
I didn't know how to get out of that. And I also just, I just had such a weird um, kind of constantly moving upbringing, which probably has to do with why I live in a van now. And I just move all over the place. There's got to be some connection um, that I just kind of never really integrated anywhere. Um, and I, I stopped trying really. So yeah, I didn't really have any friends that were influencing what I did. I just almost collapsed and went inward and started looking at myself even in sixth and seventh grade when you don't have a concept of that kind of depth really, where I'm just like developing my voice, my talents, what I'm actually interested in listening to what I felt compelled to do instead of what I was being told to do to the absolute disdain of my parents, I'm sure. But I just kind of, so I just really focused on just being an individual. Um, and so, yeah, like it just, I started, I've had, you know, some influence from people that, that want to help. Like if I'm in a tough spot, like, you know, um, but most of it, it's nobody got me into anything that I'm doing. I just somehow developed it. Yeah. And it's, it's lucky you did. And, you know, I think probably most cyclists are a bit of that kind of loner. And I, I don't want to call cycling an escape because it's for sure not. It's to me, it's hard to explain. I think, I think a lot of people find cycling because they're trying to look for something or they feel like they're not part of something else and they end up kind of going towards it. I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to come with this, like put a bow on this thought altogether. But yeah, it is important. And, you know, like, like you said about sharing your story with it, because, you know, like as you go into your trip, you've got, you know, you tell people you're going to go on a 400 mile ride. People who don't ride bikes don't understand why you would want to do that. Don't they won't understand what you get out of that, what kind of growth that you're going to be able to take with you for the rest of your life because you've completed a journey like that. And a, it's important to have people out there like you or, you know, it's a very similar reason to why we opened the shop here. I knew when I found mountain biking, you know, or refound biking when I was, I was about 21, 22, um, same thing. I just kind of didn't have anything I was passionate about. I was down in the dumps all the time. And as soon as I found a bike, I was like, this is amazing. And it opened up a whole world to me. You know, I went from a very small, like, never really leaving St. Louis, not really sure what I was going to do, not sure how I was going to kind of what I was going to do with the rest of my life or how I was going to make all this work. I had a kid very young. So for me, when I found biking, it just opened up even just St. Louis. Like I grew up in South St. Louis in Dogtown. You know, we didn't, you know, we'd come out to the to South County and see my aunt. I thought we were in the country. You know what I mean? Like we were very city kind of kids. So like, and a lot of all my friends I grew up with were the same way. And a lot of them still live in the city. And, you know, it's it's this very small world view. And it can be really, it's, it's hard to get out of that until you find something that you can. And in cycling, whether it's on the road or the trails, that ability to kind of explore and get out there, I think really opens up your mind to more possibilities. So for me, it was important to open up the bike shop. So I was like, nobody around here knows what mountain biking is. I know how big of an impact had kind of opening up my life and having me go from, you know, what am I supposed to do in life and how do I ever make this work? Cause I tried being like a union carpenter and I was like, that sucks. You know, like just, it absolutely blew. And um, yeah, I just didn't have purpose. I didn't know what I was going to do. And then I found bikes. And I was like, Oh, I can go anywhere and do this. And this is free. 
and like it was just amazing the people i would meet would be cool and um yeah i just i wanted it was really important to me to kind of spread that that message around um you know and i think what you're doing is the same way like people need to see examples of it because i don't have well i take that back my uncle john um is a pretty big cyclist he likes to run around like but he lives in an rv and travels around the country so i was never around to see him be a cyclist he used to take me camping when i was a kid um but uh yeah so like you know i don't i didn't know anybody up until i opened the shop i knew one person who rode mountain bikes that was it like i didn't know anybody who rode mountain bikes it's just you know so us being out there you putting pictures up like that um you doing all those things does kind of help spread that message a little bit more so I think we talked about BAM Life. I think we talked about why you did it. I think we're talk we've talked about why you want to go on such an epic journey of 410 miles. What have you been doing this week to make sure that you're not going to die? How many miles do you ride on like an average day kind of in preparation of this ride over the last few weeks? It's been kind of all over the place because I did have a pretty epic bike meltdown a couple of weeks ago that kind of put a big hole in my training plan. Um, so it's mostly just, uh, you know, I'm doing like 30, 40 miles, like a couple times during the week. And then on the weekends, you know, you know, working a pretty stable, you know, Monday through Friday job. When I have the time on the weekends, I'm just like, all right, how can I pack as much into a weekend without completely, you know, destroying myself? On average, how many miles do you think you do a day? A day? Uh, well, it's kind of hard to say. Uh, a week. A day. Yeah, Let's a week, week. Is, is 150 to 200 when things are going correctly. Um okay obviously bad weather which you know we're just now kind of getting into the season where you can expect consistent warmth but whenever we're having those high low like extremes in the transition seasons mm -hmm. those are not only hard to prepare for but they also for me personally just drain my energy yeah, and so absolutely. i can't really push the way that i need to and so i have to be pretty careful there um because i have experienced a pretty severe overtraining incident in the past from just not listening to when I'm tired and just being like, oh, well, I'll just, if you're going to be a harsh athlete, you have to really be tough and push through that. I kind of learned the hard way that that isn't necessarily the smartest approach. Um, the tortoise and the hare, an age old fable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's mostly just making sure that, you know, my bike, which I think I'm using a different bike for this, but um, making sure that that is completely, you know, mechanically correct like i had the i had it entirely rebuilt um uh you know making sure that i i kind of do the math on what kind of nutrition that i need what kind of nutrition are you planning on bringing with you so you've got day one how many miles that is 96 96 miles day one day two 113 113 day three 152 and that's when you have most your elevation as well yes about six thousand feet of climbing that day uh, it'd probably be closer to seven knowing how the mapping app <laughs> that's on day three after you've already ridden 200 miles previously mm -hmm. which is normally what you try to complete in a week mm -hmm. as far as your normal riding goes so day three you're like screw it, let's do another 100 miles than i'm used to doing and let's add a ton of elevation um and then on your last day you're going to how many miles do you have on your last it's, day? I think I think it's right at 50. 50. So 
nutrition wise. So like, you know, hundred miles in a day, you're probably going to average what 15 ish miles an hour, maybe a little bit less. That's, that's the goal pace. Yeah. And, and, and since I'm heading from West to East, I'm hoping I have a little bit of a tailwind to help <laughs> out. <laughs> we'll see. But nutrition wise, it's mostly Cause day one's going to be in Illinois, right? Yeah. You better hope for a tailwind <laughs> or you might pedal forward and actually move back. Yeah. I've already thought about that. <laughs> I'm just trying to keep it. Cause you know, riding the Katie trail, the opposite direction, that's also flat with a lot of exposed areas and i was fighting the wind for eight hours straight sure. that one day so you know we've been there <laughs> i would recommend maybe in your pack having some sort of like um get like a bungee cord or some sort of long draw cord so that way you could attach it to your handlebars if you maybe the wind's too much and then as like an 18 wheeler or something bar, goes by yeah. just lasso it under their mirror and then <laughs> let them kind of pull maybe you have multiples because i'm not sure you're gonna be able to get that off and probably the only way to break free is just let go. And then now they have a new pull rope for the next cyclist that they come across. But... For, did, oh, glossing over the fact of how illegal that probably is. Is it? Is it really I, I'm a cyclist. I don't feel like the founding fathers would have put that in the Constitution. I'm a cyclist, so my hand-arm coordination is probably not great <laughs> for latching onto a semi-truck. I'm also hoping that I don't encounter any semi-trucks on the, the ride that I'm on. <laughs> you're uh, you're, you're uh, an equine? Or is it no? Is an equine actually the horse? Oh, equine. Equine. It's, is that a person who works with horses? That that's that's referring to the horse. Oh, I, okay. An equestrian <laughs> would be a horseback rider. Right. I'm just the barn hand. Right. But you work with horses, yes. so you should know how to lasso. E, um, well, we're not that kind of barn. <laughs> You're not the six 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 ranch. No. Okay. That's unfortunate. But yeah, back back to the <laughs> back to the nutrition thing. For mileage that's that long, I kind of throw the math out the window. Are you gonna I, eat the night before? Oh, for sure. So, I have to eat anytime are you I'm gonna off the bike. Load? I better be eating. Yeah. Okay. So but, you like ton of pasta and stuff the night before, something like that. Usually it's cereal. Okay. Because uh, pasta can be a little bit heavy. Okay. Um, but a lot of cereal, just like interesting. Just sweet stuff like that uh -huh. can really does kind of serve as per chocolate milk is like i swear dude i've been training for, for an epic ride all freaking <laughs> week then dude i'd be on it i could probably go really far with my diet yeah off the bike i, I, I know that there's a cracker barrel very close to my first hotel so that's probably where i'll end up okay. um but on the bike it's just like i i carry what i think i can eat that i know is going to give me fuel so obviously i'm okay. taking your standard like gels and you will know, you eat breakfast so you'll eat the night before will you eat breakfast the morning before you uh, head out i'll do my best i okay. especially when i'm anticipating something like this i my this. appetite just kind of shuts down especially gotcha. the morning of there will be a little too much coffee which is probably to my detriment but cool. um yeah I'll, I'll eat what i think i can but otherwise just my... if anybody gives you trouble just be like i actually rode through a mud puddle right when i began <laughs> <laughs> Is that that might be one of the things that, that I'm you're worried about. Like I'm already my chamois. <laughs> but yeah, I I have to eat, and like I've been told, like this is a massive undertaking that I'm doing, and in the people that are educated, like you know my former coach that I've asked about this, he he's like, you can definitely do it, but you can't you can't ride your typical speed. You're gonna have to back that down, and you're going to have to just eat like not just like not stop and that's going to be a test but what's your longest ride in a day that you've done 206 206 and that was in that race yeah okay that was yeah. one day 
Yes. How do you feel the day? How do you feel when that ride ended? Were you in pain? Could you walk? Did you have a big limp? I um I no I, all of the above. Um, I remember we stayed in Emporia University, which you know was just a, a college that that housed the racers for that race. And uh, after we finished the race, the, the biggest thing was I think my body because it's it was called the dirty can to 200 so my brain wrapped its head around 200 okay we're 200 and then my computer showed me we'd got to 200 everything shut down i couldn't sit on my saddle anymore all of a sudden because mm -hmm. i would it just hurt so bad to sit mm -hmm. and then i i just kind of got i wouldn't say dizzy but we were kind of bordering on like all right why are we not laying down now right. um but that yeah whenever i got back and i finally you know got off the bike and could stay i remember it i had a hard time actually standing upright and not being l-shaped um we went into you know the the dorms and i showered and i did lay down on the shower floor at one point just to kind of like feel like i could take a full breath yeah. i don't and so i got out of the shower and then i immediately went back to the cooler in our support car and you know my uh, my teammates were asking like hey can you grab this for us and me being the hero type that i am like yeah sure i'll do that right. i'll do this for you i get out to the car and what i'm going after are you who the chocolate drink mm -hmm. i that is, if i'm feeling really bad that's what i go for because it's basically straight sugar good you who's in the fridge here at the shop <laughs> I, I that stuff is jet fuel mm -hmm. um, on a bike i i because it's non-dairy so if yeah you have, it's not carbon well i guess no it's not it's not no yeah. it's just so it's super simple so it's not gonna bubble up in your stomach it's right. super simple to just keep you upright right. and so i was going for that and they had a yeti cooler and i did undid the little bungee straps for the yeti cooler and i tried to lift it and i couldn't like my upper body was so was so damaged from just all the vibration <laughs> yeah. of being on gravel roads and rugged gravel roads at that right. that i just i i there wasn't a muscle on my body that i felt like i had real control over and so i couldn't lift the lid to this cooler and so i just sat on the ground and just started crying mm -hmm. said over something that little mm -hmm. and and then i finally got over it i opened the cooler and i'm just gasping for air and i i remember having to walk back down the stairs sideways kind of leaning on mm -hmm. yeah so none of this sounds fun <laughs> right well that was twice the distance you're only going half the distance in a day so you have plenty of time to uh, right. drink yoohoo's when you get back to the hotel and, and paved and what and paved, and paved. yeah, yeah there, there's there's have a... you ridden uh, any of these roads before or is this or are you going blind i'm going blind until nice. i until that last day the last day is all home territory so i'll be super comfortable so really i'm just kind of looking at those three major days but I'm only really going to allow myself to think about one day at a time, getting right. point A to point B, yeah. and then we do it again the next day. Right. But that first day is the one that I'm the most afraid of because it's getting out of the city. I have not explored St. Louis or Illinois whatsoever, so I'm just I'm riding that blind mm -hmm. and then hoping that I don't hit accidental unpaved roads going through rural Illinois mm -hmm. because I'm not riding gravel tires. Mm -hmm. Yep, and uh, Illinois does have a lot of points where they cut you across in places, and it is gravel roads sometimes. Yeah. Um, but they are actually, I don't know about that, they're pretty good, more so than like St. Charles is about. Like St. Charles always makes me mad because, A, I have a gigantic truck with tires that stick out 12 inches past my fenders, or I've always had motorcycles. So I, <clears throat> if I go to Joyride around St. Charles and I'm trying to go somewhere, 
Next thing you know, it always wants to turn me down a gravel road. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, I, I need, there's no like setting to turn that off in Google Maps. You really don't know a lot of times until you get to it. Um, so yeah, that'll be interesting if you need to do that. Was there anything that when you kind of decided that this was going to be something that you were going to embark on, was there anything that came up that was almost like, okay, this is a concern and I'm not going to do it? Or was there anything, not even that I'm not going to do it, but was there anything that came up for you that really worried you and kind of had you second guessing as to whether you wanted to head out on this journey or not? Well, it's worth mentioning that the original plan was to do two 200 mile days Sick. instead of four. <laughs> but what, that changed because one, I um, I actually forgot that I had already scheduled the week after completely off of work. So there was a timeline pressure to get it done in a weekend. Mm -hmm. um, and that would have included like picking the van up after riding 200 miles and driving back to St. Louis. Which and, is probably more dangerous than actually riding. Right. right. Um, and what, and what changed that plan also is I actually had a friend that um, I used to train with quite a lot, quite a lot in Louisville has the same attitude with as me. He's, I, I'm not quite sure how, you know, what his age is, but you know, significantly older than me and just like this diesel engine of a bike rider, very steady, very experienced, very, just very stable person to ride with. Mm -hmm. Um, but he was originally going to shuttle out to St. Louis and do this with me. And we had planned to, you know, kind of, if we needed like a rest day in between those two efforts, we were going to do that. Um, I had that much wiggle room at mm -hmm. least. Um, and then he got COVID. And so he's like, I'm pretty sure that I'll recover from this, but I don't think that I should immediately jump back into an effort like that. And so I'm like, okay, we're doing this on our own, which means that I should probably take some extra safety precautions which included not riding in the dark more than maybe like an hour or so, okay. um, which will come in the morning as opposed to, you know, two 200 mile days, depending on how much you have to stop. If there's inclement weather, if you're riding slowly, cause you're feeling like garbage, right. like there was the potential for me to be riding in the dark a lot. And I'm like, I, I don't want to do that when it's just me. No. So, so if ideally, if you were to kind of go at a good clip um, and we've got about 10 minutes left, um, if you were to go to a good clip, you would end at what, like three or four o'clock each day. Like you're starting when the sun comes up or a little bit before the sun comes up and then right until two, three o'clock or something. Yeah. I mean, it always ends up being Longer. close to like five just right. because, you know, taking rest breaks. And again, if I'm not pushing pace, if I'm right. intentionally slowing things down more so than I would on a regular ride, I have to allow myself to just don't pressure yourself to get there at a certain time mm -hmm. just be you know smart about it but i do kind of want to finish early enough in the day to where i have time to just kind of really get quality rest in the hotel room instead of finishing washing up eating immediately going to bed and then getting up at the crack of dawn the next day like i need that unwind mm -hmm. okay let me process what i just did reset for the next day and then treat it like okay we're just starting over right. This so, is day one. Yep. <laughs> or no different than when you're riding at home, you're going to ride, you know, one day. And if the next day is nice, you're riding that day. Mm -hmm. If the next day is nice, you're riding that day. And then maybe you have to take a couple of days off if the weather is bad. But yeah, it's no different than what you do here. Nope. I have faith I'm in closer you. Closer together. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really awesome. Um, and we'll definitely have you back on maybe a week or two after you get back and kind of settle back in. And we can tell everybody about your journey. 
hopefully you don't have too many crazy stories for us about any ridiculousness along the way. Um, and then you'll have your brand new van. Well, not your brand new van, but your your van will have new life given back to it. Um, so that'll be exciting for you as well. So then maybe I'll get you to post some more interior. Well, you probably don't like posting interior pictures. Oh, no, I, I love it because the, the interior of my van does not match the outside at all, which is just hilarious okay. when I open the door. Oh, it's like it's all lined with gold, plated with gold on the inside. It, 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 sure. <laughs> There's a spot. Just yellow aluminum foil. <laughs> yeah, I've been to her van. She's got massage therapists in there. And everything. <laughs> it's so dumb. Nutritionist in there. No, like that. That I found. I don't think we covered that earlier. But like the inside of my van is literally just where I sleep. A store, a vintage storage cabinet that's screwed to the floor, and just my bikes. That's essentially it. And a camp toilet, but you know. That's neither here nor there, but you know, it's, <laughs> it is, it is like a little tiny, like bedroom in yeah. there. Um, and I, I, I've been staying in a normal house basically for this week at work because I don't have it here. And I'm just like this, I, I want that back. I want my no climate control stuffy little toaster. Yeah, dude, I'm I'm in the same boat. Like I like as small a space as possible. Mine because I'm super forgetful. So the bigger the space, the more of my day I spend just walking back and forth and back and forth. So it's insane to me. I save time by having small spaces, everything in one place, and then I tend not to lose things. I have to walk back and forth all the time. Van life's perfect because you can't walk. <laughs> My problem is because I would constantly be concerned that I drop something on the ground a state away. And I would always be worried that I'm losing things and I'd be backtracking and driving back. So I don't know if it's good for my home to be mobile, but we'll see one day. Maybe I'll just park over a white tarp and before I leave, I'll leave the white tarp and make sure everything's picked up. I did leave my favorite pair of gloves on. I'm pretty sure I left it on the saddle of my bike on the bike rack before I drove off from a ride one day. And uh, yeah, I never found those again. I, I have lost some kind of expensive stuff, I, either in the process of moving into that van, which I doubt, or it just disappearing somehow later. So like even in as small of my space, I, I still am just easily distracted enough that I, I do lose a lot of stuff. Welcome to being a human. I did mm -hmm. find some cooler interior pictures here, man, that I zoomed in on, on the screen share. So, yeah, Dan, we are at 54 minutes and 19 seconds. I think that is sufficient for today's podcast. And then also, I've been trying to bother you about starting your own podcast. You said, said mentioned that that's something you had thought about doing for a while. Um, so, probably the next podcast we'll do, it'll be twofold. It'll be both... First, we'll discuss how your journey went for maybe the first, depending on how uh, uneventful or eventful your journey was. Maybe we'll only talk about that for like 15, 30 minutes. And then I think it'd be cool. We do have a lot of younger folks that watch us. And obviously now the thing's going to be doing podcasts, doing YouTube channels, things along those lines. So um, maybe we'll get into a little bit about how to easily get those kind of things started um and all that kind of stuff so there's something to look forward to we're still working on the customer co-op room here at the shop uh it's where it's now just turning into the recording studio um but it is a place if anybody wants to come in we've got it set up good enough um so if you're still watching or listening to me um if you want to work on your bike or if you have some maintenance you need to do um, we're going to offer free 
stand time for right now, just kind of as we get everything sorted, probably for the next, I don't know, maybe month, a little bit more than that. So give us a call, shoot us a message, hit us up on Instagram if you want some stand time. Um, we'll make sure that that's available for you. Um, the mechanics here Wednesday through Saturday. So if it's going to be something a little bit more intense, uh, maybe schedule for a day like that, preferably not Saturday. Elsewise, I'll be here. I can answer questions. I'm a certified mechanic. Um, not as experienced, um, you know, as far as that goes, I've only been a mechanic. I guess I've been a mechanic for almost five years now, but so I guess I am kind of experienced. That's a sad state of affairs. <laughs> oh, but anyhow, so I'm here to help you. I do. Um, my brain does function again now. I do have pretty good executive planning, so I feel like I can walk people through steps without bearing them down too much. Um, and also, I just go online, order stuff from us. We got plenty of slashes and other stuff there. So, um, Jenna, any anything you want to say to everybody before you head out on your journey? Since it'll be a few weeks since you can see everybody again. <laughs> all, all I really have uh, to note is just, um, especially with my Instagram and just like my whole theme of just doing stuff that's kind of unfathomable, fathomable to people is just like just chase go do cool shit <laughs> yeah get outside and do crap just do like if you feel like impulse to to try something or do something just like you can't wait for the opportunity to be, be perfect because nothing that i'm doing that i am so glad that i'm doing came because i spent an, a lot of time just getting all the details right like you mm -hmm. just kind of have to take some crazy dives sometimes and that's really what i want to like even my siblings back at home like i really just kind of want to be that example of starting from kind of nowhere and doing something if you have just a glimmer of opportunity to do it so that is my goal that is awesome and yeah definitely something people need to keep in mind is if you feel like you want or need to do something don't let you talk yourself out of it. Freaking do it. Life short. If you think it's a good idea to do, it probably is. And I mean, how many people told you that this may not be a great idea, this 410 mile ride, no matter how it goes, whether, you know, you breeze right through and you're like, ah, oh, it was way too freaking easy. Or if you have catastrophic issues and the ride ends early and somebody's got to pick you up, take the rest away, you're still going to learn a ton of lessons from that. It's still going to be an epic adventure either way. So you know, if you're scared, go take your epic adventure, follow, follow Jenna's example and do something. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>